Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Objective. And today we're going to be talking about something quite cool. Trust me on that. Uh, we got a lot. We got a, a, a room packed with hosts today to talk about a topic <laughs> that confronts every moral philosopher. Now, uh, we're all students of objectivism, and I think we understand that morality is not primarily about confronting evil. And it's not primarily about, you know, sharing your perspective with other people. It's not what it's primarily for, but these things do come up. So when should you speak up is the question that confronts maybe all people. And I'll tell you, I don't know. Thank you. Be back tomorrow. That's it? <laughs> but before we go, let's, uh, let's talk about this a little bit further. Uh, first up, we got a guy who, let me tell you, when it comes to speaking up, this guy seems to have no filter at all. Uh, he's been a frequent guest on Fox News, Fox Business, probably many other places. I mean, this guy was not on TV. There's like videos emerging of him on like MTV News back when like Kurt Cobain was, wasn't even alive. Exactly. Yeah. And um, well, alive is a big word. Let's just say he wasn't dead. Okay, that's not, that's not, that's not. Oh, nice. come that's on not, now. That's not nice. That's not nice. That's not nice. Jonathan Honig. Great to be with you both. Thank you. And uh, we've got uh, another one of our uh, reoccurring co-hosts, a man who, let's just say, he's been on more television and movie productions than Jonathan has been on television program, uh, news report type shows. <laughs> this is a guy who uh, pretty much out of nowhere just became a Twitter force to be reckoned with. I mean, everything is going fine. So why in the world would he want to now start giving his opinion on Twitter is what we're going to get into. Please welcome Mark Pellegrino. That's uh... <laughs> so, yes, Mark, let's start with you since this question is fresh. Like, Ooh. you know, you're a working actor. You know, you know, your job is not to give your opinion like Jonathan's is. And in a sense, mine is as a sort of social commentary, entertainer, crazy person on the Internet. You're, you've got a job. you got contracts. you got representation. What, what would make you uh, a few years ago want to get on Twitter and start talking about controversial subjects? Well, first of all, I was mistaken and thought Twitter was actually a very good medium to start spreading benevolent ideas in the world. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Um, no, but I also I also sensed as I got into the thick of things that, that a bully culture was starting to rise. And uh, I didn't think silence was the appropriate response to a bully culture. I think that feeds the culture. Ironically, both things feed the culture. There's... Um, uh, I think the, the the real solution is to educate that uh, uh, nihilism out of the out of the culture, which will take several decades before uh, before people uh, don't use that form as a as a as a vehicle for attacking others. But for me, it was uh, look something was more important than career. Even it was it was putting a stop to what I saw as a, a nihilistic rush in society. And um, I was willing to take the barbs in my career to to participate in on the good side of the fight. Do, what was? Do you remember what the fight was? Oh, you know, for me, I started being controversial when I, I started a, a weekly segment on my Twitter called "Can of Worms," where I would open up a, a controversial topic <laughs> for discussion. 
but nobody was was really offended by the things that I was saying. It wasn't until I spoke up for Israel, I think in 2014, that I got on everybody's radar and hit list. And, um, and the people that began to attack me down the line saw me as a force to be reckoned with. Um, yeah, come out for Israel, um, especially when A-list Hollywood is signing petitions to condemn Israel for its actions and you get on everybody's shit list. Wow. I mean, that's a very uh, particular topic. I mean, it wasn't, you know, so fighting socialism. It wasn't about um, even crime on the streets of America. This was, I mean, this, we're talking about Israel versus, you know, Palestine or the Arabs or whatever, Hamas. I mean, this is a very, very uh, particular topic. A lot of people watching this don't really think that much about the issue, but for you, it was, it was something you uh, wanted to speak up about, and it actually um, became kind of a defining moment in your public life. Well, I think it crystallizes this sort of essential um, playing field, right? It's we live in a culture now dominated by a, by an ethics of victimology, and there's nothing that uh, exemplifies that more than the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, right? Where you have rich versus poor and, and you have the victim versus the, uh, the victimizer, apparently, in everybody's eyes. The, the cast is the David and Goliath. So it's, to me, it, it's, the, it's the flashpoint. You know, you fight, you're fighting that, that issue, but it it's definitely touches on, uh, touches on the main crux of the problem today. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Arab-Israeli conflict or whatever name it's being given uh, is, it's like, uh, I see it as kind of like the, like, it's like a, a representative sort of symbolic battleground between Western civilization and non-Western uh, mystical civilization. And, um, and I mean, we can't even get Americans to, like, side with America versus, you know, um, I don't know, like, we can't even get people to, okay, like, we can't even get people, it's, it's even controversial to say that, like, Al-Qaeda are the bad guys in the 9-11, <laughs> uh, you know, attack, right? Like, it, that's even controversial. So if people won't even take a moral stance on, like, USA versus Al-Qaeda, how are, how, how are we supposed to uh, convince the average Joe out there that um, this prosperous, relatively civilized, cap relatively capitalist and science-minded rights respecting country like Israel are the good guys when you see the images of suffering Palestinians who are living, you know, in a terrible way. It's, it's, it's very difficult to uh, persuade people when even here in America, it's hard to convince people of that. And, right. And, and as long as the victim has moral primacy, irrespective of what they're doing, it's, it's going to be difficult to uh, mm -hmm. convince people. Uh, so yeah. I thought it's, it was time to stand out against that. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, uh, we, we, we can get more into the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict uh, another day. But Jonathan, you're, uh, you're no, neither Arab nor Israeli. I can't imagine you have uh, many controversial opinions. What, what was, what, what's it like for you? Now, you're obviously, part of your job is to be a loudmouth, at, at as far as your TV appearances. You know, pundit, whatever you, pundit, right. Pundit. AKA pundit, right. And you guys, you know, you're, there's like 17 <laughs> people on the screen, everyone's screaming over each other. It's kind of... Uh, in the job description to give your opinion. And you were on a network like Fox, which is known to be more friendly to the free market perspective. Uh, but then, but really? then came, Don well, oh. but then, well, yeah. relative, 
relatively. Yeah, yeah. But then came sure. but then came the era of Donald Trump. And you famously said, if you're a capitalist, if you're pro-liberty vis-a-vis economics, then maybe Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton are, are the better candidate for you. You said something along those lines. And uh, have you been on back on Fox since that day? Not, 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 not really. But, but look, I mean, you, you asked the question, let me, let me, you asked mm-hmm. the question, Ruck, you know, when, when should, when should you speak out? Right. And it has a lot to do. Um, I think Mark, you'd agree with this with your own context. And I know for me, at least when I first started reading Ayn Rand in college, I couldn't help but want to speak out about everything. And I became that young person with a copy of Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal in my hand, who was, you know, there was was no Twitter back then, but who was like getting into it with anyone and everyone and probably alienating a lot of people, frankly, in the process. I was never like that prototypical young objectivist asshole, but I was looking to get into it with my family, who I don't think you can convince, and with people in, in many cases who were over 30 years old who were already made up their minds. But, you know, what I quickly found was that when you speak up, you're going to be looked at as pretty radical because these ideas are, are pretty radical. So um, I'm still speaking up. You know, Rand talked about that. You know, someone asked her, and I'm paraphrasing here, what do you, how can you change the world? And her answer was to speak. Uh, and I'm, I'm quoting here. She says, speak on any scale open to you, large or small, to your friends, your associates, your professional organizations, or any legitimate public forum. You can never tell when your words will reach the right mind at the right time. So, you know, that's what I've continued to do. I don't speak out going looking for trouble, for example, um, but I say something on issues ranging from, you know, economics to, to, to education. And I try to point people in the right direction for greater resources. I think oftentimes, guys, you know, people feel like they have to convince someone for free markets, for getting rid of tariffs. But just plant the seed, get them to read a little bit of Ayn Rand, get them to read a little bit of, of objectivism or, or uh, Harry Binswanger or Rowan Brooke, and let them let those philosophers do the heavy work. So speak out, but you don't have to be the, you know, the, the, the torch carrier that wins every argument on the Internet. Your life is too valuable to do that. Yeah, I mean, definitely I've found um, that recommending Ayn Rand or recommending uh, more specialized scholars than myself is the best way because I don't have all the answers. I'm a student myself. So kind of the more I've gotten immersed in the world of commentary and discussion and discourse, I found it's it's a much more mature take to say at times, I don't actually know how to address this, but I think uh, this would be a good thing to read and that, that might help you better or, or someone else to ask. Uh, another thing I found the, the older and wiser I get is that <laughs> convincing people is not that important to me. Like, I mean, it never quite was, but it's less so today. Um, what is the difference between um, speaking up when it's proper versus feeling an urge to convince people and is this is this something you've struggled with mark (laughs) how ironic that you should go to me um yes uh look i mean that 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 distinction is is a really hard one to make when you feel you have the truth and when you've thought about the ideas enough to to I, i i hate to say this i hate to pause it certitude but you're certain that what you're thinking is the truth, and you see so much of its opposite coming at you, um, you just intuitively start to 
punch at it. You, you start to hit, hit at everything in an attempt to, to change uh, the world by changing one person's mind. I, but I would say for every three people I've turned around, a thousand people hate me, right? I mean, a yeah, thousand but, but Mark, you know, Mark, you don't see the, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands who because of you pick up a little <clears> bit of Ayn Rand or maybe they just buy it and it sits on their shelf for two or three years. I mean, I owned Atlas Shrugged for years before I actually read it. So it's almost like planting a seed. You've planted so many seeds among young thinkers that That's aren't, true. And, and, and same thing with you, Rucka, you know, turn people on to ideas that aren't gonna bear fruit. And, and Rucka, as you said, I mean, they were, were students of objectivism, we're all still, still learning. I mean, for me, for one thing, I don't, I don't punch down. You know, I don't waste my time and my attention with people who are unopen to reason, unopen to listening. If they're just there to intellectually masturbate their own ideas, now is that okay, uh, Razi? Can we say intellectually masturbate? I don't know. It's, I'm talking about intellectually, okay? It's, 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 but you know, don't waste your time punching down with idiot, idiots. And also, for me at least, speak up on a particular issue. Um, you know, Razi, you asked before about the Palestinian conflict. I certainly have opinions, but it's kind of not my issue. So I'm going to leave that for Elon Journal. Leave that for the experts. I speak up when I see businessmen getting dissed, when I see business and trade getting, it's kind of my shtick, it's kind of what I do. So speak up on a particular issue, but you don't have to kind of fight every fight, certainly on topics in which you don't have any real expertise. That's interesting. I mean, for me, that my kind of hot button issue is seeing an entertainer getting canceled, um, seeing somebody like a comedian or someone getting in trouble for something. Now, I mean, in my case, I particularly, it's, it almost looks like I've attempted to get myself canceled. Uh, with the type of uh, entertainment that I purposely produce, but but seeing someone who kind of didn't mean for it to happen getting in so much trouble, or even someone who is sort of on the edgy side, uh, still getting so uh, canceled and completely um, completely just destroyed by their by PR, uh, it just feels like an injustice. Um, interestingly for me, I. Um, I sort of uh, kept my philosophical views under my hat for a very long time. And there, there was uh, about three years ago, I felt compelled to speak up when I saw that a lot of, there was like a large movement of people that were sort of leaving the left. And, you know, we were, we, maybe you guys have followed like Dave Rubin uh, as like kind of the figurehead of that in one respect, but I was more focused on the sort of uh, underbelly of the internet, like uh, people that are into very dark humor and stuff like that. And some of them maybe saw me as kind of a founding father of the internet, but a lot of them, they were subtle. They, they had always been kind of like de facto left-leaning, whatever people, but then the feminists started attacking them and telling them your, your type of comedy is unacceptable. Your video games are sexist. The way you guys talk and joke around is sexist and racist. And these people were like rising up and pushing back. And I felt like, um, maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a way I can reach some of these people and show them that there's a better way. Was there? No, they're all on the right or back on the left now. That's a bit of an exaggeration. A, a handful of them are maybe today objectivists or students of objectivism. And, uh, but the sort of um, accidental outcome, speaking of planting seeds and watching them grow, is that people who, I who are maybe even like younger than that whole crowd, the, the Sargons of the world, younger than him, like more like, I don't know, early 20s or teenage fans of mine who I, I was never particularly trying to influence, you know, philosophically. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll hear from them now. And they're saying, you know, they've read the fountainhead, they're reading Atlas. Yes, um, yes. I, I do these uh, live streams on Instagram now where you, nowadays you can, 
have fans call in on video on your Instagram live streams. And I'll be talking to people, some of them in India, some of them in Mexico or Mexican Hispanic speaking parts of America. Let's say people from all walks of life. And they call in, they get my sense of humor. We're riffing, we're kind of speaking our common tongue. And then suddenly they pull up a copy of Atlas Shrugged. I'm like, oh, wow. Like you That's never realize. So awesome. Yeah, you never know who you're reaching. It, I mean, like primarily my entertainment work life is not about spreading objectivism, but it is interesting how that ends up happening. Anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about uh, twi Twitter and Black Lives Matter. Now, it's like, it, it's a very difficult uh, topic to, to give kind of a nuanced take on, to say the, the organization called Black Lives Matter is, um, is um, you know, is not a good organization. But of course, the sentence Black Lives Matter is very true. But, but when people hear you trying to uh, it's make a package point, deal, they, they package it, but they and they don't want to hear about it. Mark, are you worried about uh, losing everything overnight if uh, if you give the, the wrong opinion, quote unquote, about BLM? Yeah, that's a real that's a real possibility. I don't know about now, but certainly a, a month ago it was. Look, I, I when when BLM first came on the scene, uh, they were they were posting videos of um, of police brutality, and I was re I was retweeting those because um, it seemed like they were on the side of of justice and really trying to high, highlight something that. Well, they painted as an epidemic. We now know that that's not necessarily the case, but it seemed like they were on the on the right side. And then they and then they they vaulted into national prominence on a lie. And and I watched them. I watched them promote violence in Ferguson. And I said, I this is wrong. This these these people clearly are not uh, trying to accomplish what they claim to accomplish. So I actually posted a an anti Black Lives Matter article by uh, an objectivist psychologist, Hurd. I don't remember his uh, first name. Michael. Michael, Michael. Michael Hurd. And that has since come to haunt my mentions as trolls try to identify me as a racist. They post that article and my, <laughs> and my retweet of it, which says somebody had to say it. And, I, and my response is always, did you read the article? Of course, they never do. But my association with being anti the organization Black Lives Matter, because, of course, Marxism sucks uh, and anarchy sucks and nihilism sucks and I don't want any part of it. Um, uh, but my 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 they conflate me with, of course, uh, being racist because I've come out against the organization and that could have some really nasty effects down the line. I think uh, I'm in a pretty good uh, position where I'm, I'm not famous enough to like for anyone to care that much about me, but I'm like kind of famous enough to sort of, you know, reach people and entertain. But I mean, Mark, I mean, you're obviously very successful, but there are bigger, you know, there are bigger actors. You deserve to be the biggest. There are bigger ones. Have you ever kind of played that equation? Kind of like, okay, if I was, you know, uh, the, the lead of like a, of a, of a, of an Oscar winning movie this year, I would be getting canceled much harder than I am or, is that just too hard of an equation to try and factor? Is this the first time you're thinking about it? Um, well, I, I, I never really thought it was a possibility until cancel culture rose up and 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 black lives. I never took black lives after I, I sort of dismissed them in my mind. I never took them seriously as an organization. So to see them rise to the level that they they did and to have the financial and political power that they acquired that was disturbing. 
So yeah, it's, I'm sure if I had an even bigger platform, um, you know, people would be searching a lot harder to topple me because I'm a, you know, they like bringing down big things. That's, that's how they get their self-esteem and the bigger, yeah. the better. Yeah. And uh, let me remind the audience. Uh, I mean, we, we're pretty familiar at this point with how when, when business and government are married, you know, watch out, we need to divorce the two, but really, really be careful when, when government and nonprofits lock arms that's i mean no one even know like no that's not even no one is even checking for that almost no one even realizes that's happening and these are private citizens of these nonprofits that are being <clears throat> given the key to the city been giving uh, a a an important voice among law enforcement and among the government officials i mean watch out we need to really divorce um crazy social workers and activists from from the the, the legal system jonathan I Yes, you have something on your quit, to say, and no, then we want to talk about quickly, Fox News and all and your quickly, shenanigans. Quickly, quickly on, BL, on BLM is, uh, you know, for me on these very controversial topics, as you said, Mark, where it's not even what you say, but it's like if you don't even, if it doesn't look the right way, they're going to come at you with a blow, a, a pitchforks and torches and find something to, to do, you know, and, and I've, had, I've had that as well. So, you know, for me, I always try to almost not buy into those premises. So when people say, what do you think about BLM? My response is always like, I find looking at people based on their race disgusting. I look at people based on their activities and themselves as individuals, how they act. There's certain cases of police brutality, but not to, so I, I reframe the question. I don't buy into this premises that you should look at people based on something as completely insignificant as the color of their skin. Only a um, privileged white man would say that, my friend. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's a capitalism and white supremacy. Uh, masquerading All rolled into one. There it is. As well, individualism. And, and, so yeah, you can't. Uh, and quickly, Ruck, I'll share a story. I mean, we, we started please. by talking about when should you speak up? And, you know, in the aftermath of our, all of our friend, uh, Bosch Faustin winning a cartoon contest. This was a number of years ago. Basically, there was a cartoon contest, which was <clears throat> Draw, Draw Mohammed. And uh, there was a lot of controversy at that time. In fact, there was some violence associated with it. And the aftermath of that terrible event, I mean, it was wonderful that Bosch won, obviously, but there was violence, it was terrible. Uh, I went on a, a, a cable network with a copy of the cartoon, which is a still amazing. I mean, this is such a classic and I love a lot of Bosch's work, but this is really one of the best. And um, in the middle of the taping, the producer cut the tape and he said, do it over, you're not doing that. And I was kind of asked and subsequently, look, you know, you're gonna get people killed. And, and, and you know, you realize people were getting attacked and I say this not to disparage that hope or that cable news network, but only to say the lesson I learned quickly was that it wasn't my house. You know, it wasn't my place to do it. It wasn't my show. Uh, you could hold up this poster on in your host your house. You can do that in your in your context, but this wasn't my place to do it. And although I was happy to be able to speak up, I learned my lesson that you have to consider the context as well of of where you do speak up. Mm -hmm. And since you're holding it up in your house uh, currently, do you want to tell people where your house is located? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but I'll hold I'll hold it up proudly and 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 applaud the Ayn Rand Center UK for providing a forum and encourage our viewers to support the Ayn Rand Center UK for that reason. They're not afraid. 
They're not afraid. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm good friends with Bosch as well and respect his work. Um, something I like to remind people is that it's the government's job to protect us from threats to free speech. And when the government has defaulted on that responsibility, then it becomes a bit of a uh, sticky situation when you should, you know, insist on speaking out. I mean, yes, you should, but also you have a hierarchy of values. So it, it becomes a bit more complicated. So I could sort of understand why Fox wouldn't want to show the cartoon, but I think they're so big and they have such security. Um, arguably they should have done it. I think South Park um, also got, I mean, they got in a lot of trouble for, for trying to show the cartoon comedy central wouldn't allow them to do it. Uh, when some bombs went off around Times Square a few, uh, like 10 yeah, years ago. Yeah, I mean, ago, it's so. terrible that that has to be a, a function. And I, mm -hmm. you know, Rand's answer about what you do to change the word speak. And I just felt like nothing against any, you know, them or anyone else, but like speak. No, just say something. Uh, be that one voice. And, and also, change lives as both of you guys have. And also, um, you can see how this ties into like the Middle East and all of that. Like when 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 free countries do not make themselves clear to uh, to you know organizations and people threatening our freedoms. When Israel doesn't make themselves assertive and, and clear. When America doesn't make ourselves clear to the enemy, then uh, they sense that weakness and our freedoms do come under attack from abroad. So. Um, I like, you know, let, let, let's not forget the political component of it, that the government has a particular job. And the more the government spends their time doing things they're not supposed to do, they're definitely uh, not doing what they are supposed to do. Speaking of things that we're supposed to do, we're supposed to keep this 20 minute show under 30 minutes. So I'm going to um, thank you both <laughs> for joining us today and thank all of you at home for joining us today. We want to know what you think. Please uh, make your opinion known. And if the internet is good for one thing, it's for giving everybody an opportunity to give an opinion. So until next time, get out there and run your mouth. Goodbye. Peace.